a city where no twilight shadows deepen. Unending days where nights shall never be. A city where no storm clouds ever gather. Now this is just what heaven means to me. What will it be when we get over yonder and join the throne upon the glassy sea to greet our loved ones and crown Christ Sing that chorus again. What will it be when we get over yonder and join the throng upon the glassy sea? Greet our loved ones and crown. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And
the Lord of Lords. He's the bright morning star. And throughout eternity, I'm going to seat. It's so good to see every one of you this evening. So good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Turn around and wave to one another. It's not. It's been a long time since we crossed the aisles and shook everybody's hands, so we'll just keep it at that for now. Don't want to. Don't want to get awkward. So uh, wave at your neighbor. Say, "I love you. God loves you." Amen. And um, I tell you what, let's put it in the key of C. And let's sing the song, uh, Born Again, Free from Sin. Well, I'm born again, free from sin. I'm happy night and day. Well, it's I'm born again, free from sin, I'm happy night and day. And it makes me shout, there's no doubt, I know I'm born at Calvary. Well, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was Yeah. 
salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that did span at glad of that because I couldn't have paid for it I don't have the means <laughs> it was free hallelujah let's have our seats again we're going to go to the throne of God with some announcements brother Stevens if you don't mind we're going to after I bring these to the Lord if you would come up and pray over these prayer requests that are among the announcements here um, Andy Irish is away his family's here um Mike Pritchard, he's also at work, and the Jacksons are away as well. Also, I, kinda, I guess on their way back, the Peter Coffey uh, family and also the Wards. We'll be glad to have them back again. I understand they've been on a, on a good trip. I'd like to ask prayer for um, Brother David Morgley and uh, Roger Gibbs had a fall and injured his thumb. And... Uh, to many of us, the thumb don't seem like much, but he said, never knew how much I used it. I thought he must have a cell phone. <laughs> so we're just praying that um, that Brother Roger gets better very soon, praying for him. Uh, Brother Richard and uh, also Mary Smith. Lucas is not feeling well, and uh, not feeling well also is Mitchell Buchanan. He's out tonight as well. And uh, Lily Harwell uh, requests prayer. As well, so quite a long list um, of requests. So, if you would, uh, Brother Stevens, just come up and pray over the list for us as we uh, as we go to the Lord and trusting Him to meet each of these needs. Let us pray, dear Lord, Heavenly Father. We just thank you for the opportunity to come midweek, dear Lord, into your house to lift up your name, dear Lord. Lift praises to you. May it find a joyful noise, dear Lord. We just come humbly before you, petitioning for the saints, dear Lord, who are afflicted in the body, in the spirit, and the mind, dear Lord. You know each one. We just ask you to go to them even now, dear Lord. Give them relief from their symptoms and touch their bodies, dear Lord. May they recover. Bring a testimony into your house of your grace to them, dear Lord. Just ask for those that are traveling, that you give them traveling mercies. Just keep a hedge of protection around them as they return, dear Lord. May they return safely. Just give this service and tonight solely into your hands. May your will and your way be done in it, dear Lord. Just thank you for all these things. We ask it all in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother David. Let's uh, go into F and we'll sing that song. Beulah Land. I'm kind of home. 
I don't know if uh, we have a deacon here or someone that can that can, but let's uh, let's just worship right now with our tithes and offerings, and uh, I'll pray over those as the, as the brothers come forward. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful night, for the wonderful weather, the changing of the leaves. As autumn comes on, Lord Jesus, it's hard to imagine a country where the leaves will change but never fall, only to become green again. Thank you, Jesus. Red days shall pass with no night, always in the eternal presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. We thank you for Brother Coffee and the work that's done by this church through missions around the world. Lord, every time that we see a report, Lord, we just give you praise for how you've multiplied our giving over and over beyond what we could ever imagine doing of ourselves. And Lord Jesus, as we just support these ministries with our tithes and our offerings, Lord God, we just think of how we're going to come into your storehouses that'll never go empty and you're going to bless us for eternity that'll roll and roll Lord we thank you for this and we pray that you'll just take what we give tonight, bless those that have to give bless those that do not and I pray you'll multiply this for the furtherment of your kingdom here on earth in Christ's name In shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leaves His dear children alone. Those sorrows 
Satan opposed, God leads his dear children alone. But this is good. Through grace we can conquer and defeat all our foes. God leads his dear children alone. comes, let's just sing, everybody will be happy over there. Well, everybody will be happy, will be happy over there. We will shout and sing God's praise, everybody will be happy over there. There's a happy land of promise over on the great beyond, where the state of earth shall shine.
kept us by His grace, brought us to that land so bright and fair. We will praise His name forever as we look upon His face. Everybody will be happy over there. Everybody. tonight in the name of Jesus Christ, knowing, Lord, that you'll always have something for us, Lord, when we come aside. And Lord, I pray now that you would take every mind, every soul captive. Lord, may you speak to our hearts, anoint the word of life to us. And Lord, we might be better people when we leave than when we came tonight. Lord, we just want to say tonight that we are thankful for how you provide and for all you provide. We're thankful, Lord, for truth that has come in this last day. And, Lord, I pray that you would just bless this word now. I pray in this little study. And, Lord, may it help, may it heal, may it strengthen us and encourage each one, each family. And, Lord, we'll give you the rest of the evening now. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. So, uh, while you're standing tonight, let's take your Bibles, if you will. And let's go to Proverbs, the 13th chapter here. And Proverbs chapter 13. Thank you, musicians. Good to have all of you here tonight. Appreciate you taking time out of your week to come in this little oasis time. And it's a good thing for us to gather. Proverbs chapter 13, 12. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated tonight. Now, um, a couple of just a very quick things uh, tonight before we begin. Um, 
And one of them is I wanted to uh, just highlight this issue. It's kind of running in the background, and that is the tensions that are escalating between China and Taiwan. Always been tension there, as Taiwan considers itself to be an independent, autonomous country. China does not believe that, and they don't want to let it go. And so, therefore, there's a tension there. Um, it would be uh, a bold thing and probably a very unlikely thing for China to make a move at this point first. Uh, they have a lot to lose. They are going through their own difficulties at the moment economically and uh, with their natural resources and so forth, uh, but yet the tensions are escalating. The problem with this, and this is the thing to watch, is that the U.S. has solidly stood behind Taiwan and it's in its quest for independence. So if there was a struggle, it would not be between just China and Taiwan. It would be between China and Taiwan and the people who back it. This is a strategic uh, area for the United States because it's close to Japan, and the United States is uh, certainly committed. NATO forces are committed to uh, protecting and defending Japan. It's all the way from the Second World War, and uh, this is a, a, an issue to watch. Also, as well, uh, I want to say that uh, just in terms of uh, Sunday, when we had the pastor appreciation luncheon afterwards, I didn't know we were going to be doing that, but that was really nice. Uh, my wife and I were both touched and uh, appreciated, and uh, it was really nice. You know, the idea of everybody getting stuff in a jar was really neat, and, uh, you know, there were some lovely things in there, but the things that were mostly designated for me, oddly enough, were nuts. I'm not sure how that happened, but nonetheless, uh, I am enjoying the nuts. They certainly are great. Uh, but no, on a serious note, we, we really, uh, really appreciate that, and, and no one has to go to any lengths to make us feel appreciated and, and uh, welcome or, and uh, honored. We, we certainly feel that way uh, through the year. I, I, I just wanted to bring you this little statement, though, in relation to that. Brother Branham, in, in this little important section at the beginning of this service. He says, Brother Neville goes through many strains and heartaches as the pastor of the church. He said that he doesn't show, uh, show it here at the tabernacle. But being that the Lord lets him have a, a little sight, being that the Lord lets me have a little sight or insight into people's life, I know that he goes through a whole lot of it. And he certainly goes under a lot of labor and strains and things. And you people here hold him up like Joshua and Caleb held up the hands of Moses as he's bringing the word, he said, love one another above everything. That's an interesting analogy that he uses there because, uh, you know, it's one thing for uh, a leader to know that God is with him. And that is obviously the most important thing, that, that God is with me. And Moses, you know, uh, uh, had assurance of that in many different times through his ministry. But it's another thing, to know that the people are with you as well. So it's, it's a great thing to know that God is with you. But when the people have your back and they're holding up your hands, you know, that, that, that's a wonderful thing. When Moses' hands were held high, the people were victorious. And when they lowered Moses' hands, the people began to lose the battle. And so when the people stand with the ministry and, you know, hold their hands up and, and are supportive of the ministry, that has a, a great effect on the church. It really does. And not only the church, but also the other people in the world who are affected by the ministries that, uh, that go out from here. And so, you know, it's a, 
uh, it's a great thing because you know that you know you, you have you have good people and you have victory because God's with you. But you also uh, know that the people are with you, and, and that's an important thing. I mean, that just makes life a whole lot easier. Despite the fact that, as he said with Brother Neville, there are strains. There are always going to be strains, and if you're in the, uh, you know, believing God's word, there's always opposition. That's for sure. And uh, not necessarily from the church people, but there is opposition because we're fighting a spiritual warfare. And, and that goes on. So uh, I just want to say that we appreciate that and thank you very much. And we'll get even with you. We're, we, have a, we, have, we have a way of getting even with you. But we appreciate that very much. Now I wanted to say one special request uh, that uh, I wanted to bring to you tonight. And that is Brother and Sister Drum. Are not here. They both have uh, been infected with the COVID virus. Uh, they were both uh, vaccinated, and uh, they were visiting with people not in the church. And they haven't been in a church now for uh, a week and a half, two weeks, uh, because they had some symptoms. And uh, then, when some other family members found out that uh, they were positive, then they went and got tested themselves. We're certainly praying for both of them. Uh, they have health concerns that uh, would necessitate us, uh, you know, continuing to hold them up in prayer. And I'm sure that they would love to hear from you. And uh, they're at home and, and resting. And uh, we certainly will miss them for the next week or so. And, and uh, just trust you. Just pray that uh, they'll just uh, get right beyond this. And it is a, a good reminder. And Sister Frieda and I were talking about this today, that it's a good reminder for anyone that if, if you have symptoms, you know, some, and all they felt like was that they had a, a cold, a seasonal cold, and uh, that's what it turned out as. So if you have uh, symptoms that are uh, typical uh, of this and, uh, you know, you're not certain or it lingers and, you know, you feel to get tested, and that's, that's certainly probably a wise thing to do is, uh, you know, stay home and, and not be in the, in the group because it's, uh, it's still around. Unfortunately, it's still around. So we sure want to hold the, the drums up in prayers. A couple of other people as well in the church who are not here tonight uh, were getting tested and, if, if you don't mind, just remember uh, the general need within the church because wherever there's an assembly and you have people, you know, from uh, different, uh, different areas and different work and different school settings, um, you know, it's important for us to just keep our, uh, keep our assembly covered in prayer. Would that be all right? It's always, always in season for us to pray. Now let's jump in and we're going to look at... Um, we're going to look at this subject again tonight here, and we've been talking about since last Wednesday night, we're talking about the wounded spirit. And uh, I really appreciated and uh, was amazed at the response from that, and it was a little on the serious side, but it, it, it uh, tended to dig up uh, some things in people's lives that I certainly had no awareness of and still don't have any specific awareness of, but just the general comments that I got. And um, as a result of that, I kind of felt uh, encouraged that, uh, you know, you're on the mark and you're uh, aiming in the right direction here. And our job is to, uh, to do everything we possibly can to make Satan's life miserable and uh, to try to uncover uh, everything we can to make the life of the, of the people of God uh, better, more positive, and the path more brighter. And uh, that's certainly what we want to do. Now, I just want to, we've used this scripture many times here in this little series and in many other places here. And uh, when God created man in the Garden of Eden before the fall, he gave him a dominion. 
and it was to dominion over uh, everything that moved on the earth. That's, that's quite an amazing thing because the entire earth was subject to, to the dominion of a son of God. And, and he had, we know he had great power. Brother Branham said that, uh, you know, Adam could speak to a tree and the tree would move from one place to another and had control of the elements there, everything that was on the earth. And God said, this is the way I've given it, and uh, this is the way I want it to be. And that's what dominion is, to have, uh, you know, a control over that, not in a bad way, but in a good way. But yet we come to the scripture which teaches us that, uh, you know, when a man is wounded in his spirit, um, it, it becomes a thing that's almost unbearable for him. When there's a wound there that lingers and some kind of a hurt that exists, and it can be from a lot, of different, uh, a lot of different experiences in life. It can be a church problem. It can be a love problem. It can be a, an issue between a husband and wife. Uh, it can be between, uh, you know, friends that, uh, you know, something comes up and there's a, there's a wound that's inflicted there. And, and they can sometimes be very small things, but they can grow into great festering problems. And so uh, it, it's a good thing for us to talk about this because... Uh, probably all of us have experienced this in some way or another, and uh, it is, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, not an uncommon thing. So if you haven't experienced something like this, you probably will. And uh, many times it looks, in a sense, it looks kind of hopeless because it doesn't seem like there's an easy solution to this, especially when time has passed. And so uh, let's just look at it here because even though God gave us dominion, and I believe in the world to come, and I hope you agree with me in the world to come, we will not be under the bondage of the wounds of this life. I believe all of those wounds will be healed. And I believe that there will be peace in the world that we step into for eternity. And we will have dominion again. But in this life, uh, it is important for us not to let something happen to us happen to us that hinders us and hinders our walk with Christ or it discourages us to the point where you feel like, what's the point? And what's the point of carrying on? What's the point of pressing on? And uh, people are going to say things or do things or hurt me in some way. Why should I carry on and why should I do that? And very often Satan will jump on, on uh, you know, thinking like that and do everything he possibly can uh, to discourage people and, and try to hold them back uh, and try to do everything that he possibly can, uh, you know, to lay traps and to make uh, things difficult for us, Right? Uh, let me tell you something, a little bit about Satan. You know, he, he, uh, he, he doesn't mind uh, God dress, and he doesn't mind God talk, and he doesn't mind God friends. Uh, there's a lot of young people who can grow up and have all of that. But what he really doesn't like is a God relationship. He doesn't like it when you have a solid relationship with him because, uh, you know, we talked about strengthening the inner man. And uh, when a person has a strong relationship with Christ and the inner man is strong, then uh, you know what? Your friends might fail. And uh, you know your church might go through problems. And you might have uh, external difficulties that take place in your life. But I will tell you what, if your relationship with God is strong, that's the thing that's going to hold you no matter what happens. Isn't that right? And so Satan doesn't mind you even coming to church. He just doesn't want you to get real serious between church services. It's not too hard to get, you know, to, to appear to be a believer and religious while you're here in church. Most of you are. Right? It, 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 that's not too hard. But if you're the kind of person who carries this relationship through, not just because it's church, but on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and so forth, all the way through the week, it's because, uh, you know, you're living for God, you're in a relationship with Him. That's what He likes to attack. 
It's not because we have our bodies here in the pew. It's because we have a, a living, uh, you know, a vibrant relationship with God. That's the thing that he tries to attack. And that's the thing that he'll attack in your children. But, you know, a lot of times young people can feel, and I say young people, a lot of times people can feel like, you know, I've always went to the church, I've always been faithful, I've always dressed right, always paid my tithes, always hung around with the right people, always tried to dress right, and, and therefore because I've, uh, you know, checked all the boxes, then I'm okay. And Satan doesn't mind if you carry on with that mindset at all. Because that's, in a sense, that's an easy thing to do. You could literally attend another church, like a, uh, you know, a Baptist church. You could attend a church and be there every service and show up for every event and be there for every fellowship and every dinner, right? You could do that at any other church too. But I will tell you something. When you have a relationship with Christ, then that changes the picture. That changes the way that Satan looks at us. So it is not just the external things. I mean, we get, we get, uh, caught up easily in looking at the outside, but, Remember now that God's looking on the inside. And Satan will set you up, you know, and make you feel good, uh, you know, because uh, you're a member of the church and you hung around, you know, with the people that, that know Brother Branham and all the rest of it. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, all he does is he lives to destroy us. He lives to make our life miserable. Have you ever gotten one of those letters in the mail from the credit card companies and it opens up, you open it up and it says, congratulations, you have been chosen. You just had your credit limit increased $5,000. And you, uh, uh, because of your excellent record and because of your, uh, you know, your excellent credit, uh, you know, we, we are going to uh, honor you with this and you're just, a, and, they, and they're really making you feel special. And all the time, they're really, they're really just setting you up to go further in debt, right? And, and yet, that's the way Satan does it. He, uh, uh, you know, he sets you up uh, you know, based on flattery and based on saying nice things about you, and he sets you up and sets you up, and you make you feel pretty good. And really, it's just a trap. You got to have discernment to look at those things and know what's coming, right? Forgive me for saying it this way, but I, I heard a story about a, a farmer and a biker uh, one time, and this farmer had a big, uh, big uh, farm area. And, this biker was coming through one time, and it was duck season, and it was just there's something really, really strange and unusual about duck hunters. But whenever they see a duck, you know they just can't can't resist. And so this biker got off his bike and laid in the bush for a while, and heard those, uh, you know, Canadian geese going over the top, and finally saw one, shot at it, and down it comes. And farmer's looking out his window, and he gets all, cuts out in the yard, and he says to the bikers, "The biker's coming over to get the duck," and he says, um, "That's my duck." Biker says, no, it isn't. He said, that's mine. Farmer said, no, that's my duck. It's on my property. Biker said, no, I shot that duck. I waited for that duck, and I shot that duck. That's my duck. And the farmer said, I'm sorry, buddy. He said, that duck fell on my property, on my property line. That's my duck. And the biker said, no. He said, that's mine. Well, they went back and forth for a while. The farmer said, well, hey, why don't we just settle this a different way? Biker said, all right. Farmer said, tell you what. He says, in order to settle this, he said, I'll give you a punch. And he said, I'll hit you really hard. And he said, then next, you'll be your turn. You can hit me really hard. And the one who groans the least is the one that gets the duck. Biker says, <laughs> Biker's not going to shy away from a situation like that. So he says, yeah, good enough. And the farmer says, all right, I'll hit you first. So the har- farmer hauls off and, and just lets the biker have it. And the biker just rolls on the ground. And he goes, <clears throat> so all he did was make a little grunt like a... <clears throat> 
just trying to hold it in. Finally, he gets back on his feet. He said, okay, now it's my turn. Farmer looked at him. He said, no, you can have the duck. I said all that to say this, that Satan will set you up because his only intention is to hurt you. And he'll disguise it sometimes in things that look good. He's just a master at that. And I think a lot of times, too, that, uh, you know, uh, Satan will, will wrap things in, in ways that, uh, you know, we, we don't understand as we look at them. It's only sometimes later on do we look back and see what really happened. Now, let me give you a little scripture, and I, I, this was really quickened to me today, and I wanted to just share with you. In Isaiah 48, verse 16, here it starts. Come now uh, near unto me, and hear ye this. And I have, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God and his spirit has sent me. So I want you to watch the way that Isaiah prophesies. And these are people that are uh, going into captivity. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, and which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldst go. That is who I am. That is what I do. I am one who uh, redeems you, and I'm one that teaches you. I'm one that actually shapes your life. And I'm one that leads you in the way that you should go. That's our God. How many believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? He is all of that. And you know what? Sometimes it takes, it takes looking back to realize that, yes, you know what? That's really true. He has helped me and he's, he's led me. But then in 18 it says, Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments, then had thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. If you'd only have followed my ways and hearkened unto my commandments, if you'd only had taken stock of that and followed my ways, because there, there are ways that God has. And, and let's be honest, his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. Do you believe that? And, and he said, you, you, there, there could have been many other profitable things happen in your life had you hearkened unto my commandments. And I think it is a profitable thing for us to realize that uh, God has a way. And the sooner we find that way and follow that way, the better off we'll be. That may seem elementary, but that's going to become important for us as we go on here. Now, Brother Manum also said people today make the gospel too complicated for the people. And that's always been the reason it goes over the head of the common people. And the gospel was sent for all, but it's usually the common people that hears it. And Luke said the common people heard Jesus gladly. Let me just interject and say this. If you don't understand what's being said, you won't go out and live it. You, you won't go out and witness it to other people. You won't go out and share it if you don't understand it. And so God makes it so simple. He said in Isaiah, even a fool should uh, not err therein. And so we never want to make it complicated. It's simple. The simplicity of believing it, just having faith, don't move from it, stay right with it, and God takes care of the rest. And everybody said... Amen. That's a good way to view it there. So, therefore, as and, and again, just this last admonition here before we look into the Scripture. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Messes happen. Things go wrong. We find ourselves in the midst of a battle. And that battle is only increasing in intensity as we move towards the end. How many would agree? 
As we move towards the end of things, things are intensifying. There, are, uh, you know, there are uh, tensions everywhere, and, and not just in the, uh, you know, among uh, people in our own nation here. And, and uh, you know, it's just to me, it's kind of sad uh, to see the divisions that are, uh, to me, indicating some serious, very serious uh, division of thought and, and division of uh, loyalty, the division of perspective. In our country, I think it's really sad to see that, and our current status is not the current leadership is not really doing much to unify that, and I think it's a symptom of our time rather than just a symptom of the people who are holding office. But I think there's a real serious division. Uh, there's a real move away from foundational principles, and there are things that are happening. I think that uh, you know are, are are troubling. And if I only if we only had uh, you know, uh, political knowledge, and that's the only thing we were to look to. It would be a pretty sad situation. But as believers, we don't just have that. We have much, much, much more, to, uh, to, which represents our hope. We have much more insight into what's happening. We have much more of, come on, we have much more of an understanding of what's going on than just what we read in the media, Right? We, we have a much broader perspective. We have a much more uh, sound interpretation of events of our time. We have, uh, you know, a scriptural perspective. And that changes everything. We have a scriptural perspective. And so Paul is telling the people here in Corinth, he said, we cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring it into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I, you know, I follow... Uh, you know, the, the, as I've been doing in this little series, you follow the trends in marriage. And I was listening to a, a lecture that was given uh, by some doctor who was a lady who was some professor somewhere. And it was just amazing how strongly and how firmly she said in this lecture that marriage, as we knew it all through those last 200 years, it's dead. It's over. That's not the way that we need to live our lives. We don't need to be bound by just having one wife and one partner, and there's absolutely no reason that we should be married, not be married multiple times and all the rest. And this is a person who's in a leading uh, educational institution and absolutely uh, almost mocking people that hold on to the idea of one man, one woman for life. And, and, you know, those, those values are so outdated. And, I mean, this is one thing that people, uh, you know, talked about, uh, you know, back, uh, back a while ago. But now it's promoted. Now, now, it's, now it's, it, it, things are much more aggressive. And so Paul is telling the people that we need to cast down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought under the obedience of Christ. Now, let me just, let me just say this. that The last part of that uh, scripture verse is really important here. Because uh, let's, let's frame it this way, that if I was fighting a, a, a terrorist, uh, somebody who was a wicked person who was uh, intent on uh, destroying America, and I was fighting that terrorist, and I finally captured him, uh, it, it would be one thing to just hold that person, but if that, un, if that person repented of their ways, and they realized how wrong they were, and they became loyal to the cause of uh, our country, and, and they were now, they were now turned to the, to the direction where they were now fighting the enemies of our country. They were fighting the very ones that were coming against us. This is what Paul had in mind when he was talking about this, this verse here. It's bringing into captivity and taking that captive and turning him around to use him for good. That's the idea. So therefore, if there are thoughts 
or if there are teachings, or if there is knowledge, or if there is anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, or something happens to you, or something comes your way, take it, turn it around, and use it against the enemy that has come against us. You, you, you say, well, all right, so if somebody is critical of you, if somebody is, uh, you know, uh, uh, against you, set against you, you take those things, turn it around, begin to pray for that person. You begin to have a different attitude to that, that person. Hey, listen, God said, vengeance is mine. He's going to take care of sorting it all out. But you're better off staying and doing what the scripture teaches us to do, even when it's not easy. And so you take that situation and, and turn it around. Turn whatever you can around in that, in that passage and use it, uh, in a way that, uh, you know, brings, brings shame to that enemy and use, it turns out, uh, you know, your prayers that you turn that situation around. And Lord, all things work together for good, even the opposition that I have. Now, let me take that and bring that into the thought tonight. Now, a wounded spirit is, is something that's a very personal thing. And I want to deal with four aspects of this. Number one, what about when we are, we are offended or wounded, but the person who said something is correct? The person who said something that was offensive to us is actually correct. What do we do with that? Secondly, reconciliation is always the goal, right? No matter, no matter what kind of an offense or what kind of a, uh, you know, a comment or what kind of a situation arises in the church or what kind of thing happens in your family or whatever else or whatever happens between two people, reconciliation is always the goal, isn't it? I mean, you, you want to do whatever you can to, uh, to, to blend that thing together, to restore and to repair. That's what we would want to do. Thirdly, what if they won't reconcile? What do we do with that? And then, if there is no hope for mending that situation, what can I do for myself? Those are four good points. Let's just begin with the first one here. And when we define a wounded spirit, as I said, I love this little uh, little statement here for the interpretation of Proverbs 18. Short of outward resources, life is difficult. When you have some sort of a, a problem in, the, in our natural life, life is hard. Short of inward resources, it feels insurmountable, right? If I lost my job and I lost my car and I lost my, uh, you know, income, hey, but I was, I was strong in the Lord, you know what? That would be tough, but by God's grace, we'd probably get through it with his help, right? Because of your relationship with Christ. But when you're short of inward resources... The difficulties of life. It seems like when one thing is wrong, everything is wrong, doesn't it? When something goes wrong, everything goes wrong. And it's just, you feel like, uh, hey, it's, it's just too difficult. And, and there's no hope and uh, you feel discouraged about things. So short of outward resources, life is hard. Short of inward resources, it feels insurmountable. Now, <clears throat> let's take a look here for a moment here. Let's say that, uh, you know, somebody says something to you and uh, it might be offensive to you. It might be... Uh, something that rubs you the wrong way. Okay? We all right? And if that happens, if that happens, but they're right, how should we react to that? Now let's look at what Paul writes. 
He says, Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. I want you to take note of this now. We really have no right to judge somebody else if we are partaking of or doing the same thing that we're judging someone else for. All right? We really can't do that. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. That whenever God deals with something, it is going to be according to truth, not a personal opinion, not a bias in any way. Right? If God, if God corrects us, it's going to be with the truth. So, for instance, if you come in here and you have, uh, you know, uh, pink fingernails and pink toenails and, uh, you know, you're all uh, dolled up like that, uh, and uh, someone, someone even not knowing that, and I know this is not you folks here. There must be, no, it couldn't be for you folks. So, but a, but a preacher comes in or someone gets up and quotes some of those things that Brother Branham commented on about them. And remember now, that's really a symptom of something, isn't it? Right? That's really a symptom of something. But if he gets up and, and you know, God leads him to, to bring some statements and talk about holiness and talk about, uh, you know, the trappings of the world, and he gets up and he comments on that, and that person's offended by that. Well, you know what? Really, that is a, to me, that's an expression of God's judgment based on truth. It's not because he doesn't like that person. Right? Or it's not because he's picking on that person. Hey, that's the truth. And you know what? If it is the truth, we ought to line up with it. Right? I mean, if, if you're, you know, if you're, uh, say, for instance, if you're the song leader, you're a song leader here, and, uh, you know, you're up singing uh, all the sacred songs, and then all week long you're listening to rock and roll music or other things out there, and then you come back in here, and you know, singing like a lily, and... You know, this, I mean, that, that's, that, that would be hypocritical, wouldn't it? You know what we should do? We should make that right. Should, should, should correct that. And if, and if somebody says something about that, well, you know what? Uh, that is, in a sense, that's a judgment according to truth. It's not, not, not just the pastor's opinion. Or it, 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 it's not based on anything else. But when God deals with a, with a situation, he's going to deal with it according to truth. And when the truth is ministered, and the truth is fairly, uh, you know, preached and given, hey, listen, you know what we should do? We have a choice then when the, when the truth is preached, right? When the, when, when the truth is spoken, we have a choice. And the choice is for us to line up with that truth or reject it, one or the other. So we are sure, Paul says, that the judgment of God is according to truth. And I believe this, when we, get, when we get over on the other side and we sit in judgment with him, his judgment will not be based on a whole new set of rules. It'll be by the same word we've preached and believed over all these years. It's not going to be something different. Otherwise, God would not be righteous, would he? He wouldn't be a righteous judge. If he pulled out a new set of rules in heaven and said, now we're going to come to the white throne judgment, this is what we're going to judge by. No, he's not going to judge by anything different than what he's allowed uh, to be preached and ministered all over the world here in this life. That would make sense. And thinkest thou, this old man that judges them that do such thing and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? 
there is no seniority and there is no buy. There is no opting out here uh, because, you know, your father's the pastor or whatever else. There's no, uh, you know, person who's going to reap what they sow. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Aha! So here's another important point here that Paul brings to us, that sometimes the, the, the judgment of God is actually spoken, and things are actually cleared up by the word. And you know what that does? Even If that convicts you and leads you to repentance, that's the mercy of God in your life. That's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Sometimes things are said. Sometimes things are done. Sometimes things are shown to make a person come to a place of repentance. And that is a good thing. Because it's either come to repentance here or come to judgment there. And I would, I would suggest you come to repentance here because that's going to be the, the better alternative. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. That's how God's going to deal with it up the road. So you have a choice now and the best thing for you to do is to ask God to soften that heart and impenitent heart. And say, Lord, put in me a heart that's soft and tender so that when the judgment of God is spoken over the pulpit or something happens or even, come on, even in a conversation or if you're uh, listening to a broadcast or you're listening to a sermon of Brother Branham or something else and all of a sudden he cuts right across your thought process about a certain thing. That you would respond to that in the right way. That's the goodness of God that's leading you to correct that. That's the goodness of God that's leading you to repentance. So rather than be offended or, you know, say, well, hey, I got a wounded spirit because the pastor preached all over me. Well, were you doing something that the pastor needed to preach all over that? Or, I mean, if, if, if listen, the pastor's job is not to pick on anybody. The pastor's job is to minister truth, right? According to the word of God, that's, our, that's my job, to give you the whole counsel of God and to minister truth. Your job then is to take that home and say, you know what? That part applied to me. Now i got to do something about it. Every part of every service doesn't apply to you. And every part of every service doesn't apply to everybody. But there may be something in this tonight for you. And if it is, may God help you to get it, and may God help you to act on it. Because the worst thing you can be doing is sitting there with a hard and impenitent heart and all you're doing is treasuring up the wrath of God for the day of judgment when God will know how to get your attention. So there are people, like I say, who can be offended, and they should be. I'm not saying that that's, that's in every case. But there are times when uh, God, God has to turn up the heat to get people's attention. He has to turn up the pressure to get people's attention. Because many times it's because, well, you know, I've been in church a long time, grew up in the church, heard that before, heard this before, heard that before, heard Brother Barry say that. And, uh, you know, we've had that on the, on the screen, had that on the screen. I'll tell you where a lot of the problem rises from. And this may sound really simple, but a lot of the problem with, with people's lives, especially in a situation like this, happens because they don't listen to tapes. They don't listen to Brother Barry's voice. They listen to lots of other things. But they're not reading or listening to those tapes. And if you're not, then what I say can sometimes be interpreted as just rules and regulations. 
But when you realize where this is coming from, and you realize that if that was a prophet, and God was speaking through that prophet, you know what? We better pay attention to what's been said. That'll come more thoroughly through the listening of that prophet than listening to me. I don't mind telling you that. But a lot of times people, well, in, in some situations, there are people who are, uh, you know, they're, they're doing things that are clearly, out, like Brother Ram said, outside the Bible because they don't know the Bible. And they don't know the message. What is the remedy for that? We can know him and we can know his word, Right? When a person is under that kind of condemnation, and this is a little bit apart from the theme that we were on last week, but I, I, I feel like it's a part of it, and we're going to bring it around here, that when a person gets into a position like that where they've done something wrong and maybe they're offended by and trying to cover their tracks or whatever else, they can feel like, they can feel like, under such guilt and condemnation, that they, they, they feel like they're running from something and no one's pursuing them. They feel like they're on the run from something, but no one's after them. You know what that is? That's guilt. When you're running away from something and nobody's pursuing you, that's, that's your conscience trying to get a hold of you, trying to lead you to repentance. And where does this come from? This is Solomon who wrote this. Where does this come from? It comes from Leviticus 26. Now, Leviticus 26 has uh, two sides of it. It's, it's, it's hinged in the middle. And if you go back and take a look at it, in the beginning of uh, Leviticus 26, it says, God says, if you'll hearken unto my word, I'll bless you in the field, I'll bless you in your work, I'll bless you in the barn, I'll bless your herds, I'll bless your offspring, and I'll bless your family, and uh, all of it. God says, I'll, I'll do all of this for you. And uh, he says, uh, you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. I'll do that for you. But then down in verse 17, he says, but if you disobey my word, if you do not follow my voice, if you do not hearken unto my voice, now, remember now, this is prior to the Holy Spirit coming, right? Right? This is Leviticus, Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the believers there who Moses was speaking to did not have the Holy Spirit. Right? Okay. So it was a lot of if-thens. If you do this, then I'll do this. If you do this. So they had to literally, manually, try to keep up with what the Word required. And God said, if you follow my voice, I'll do this. If you disobey my voice, this will happen. And he says, I'll set my face against you if you disobey, and you shall be slain before your enemies, and they that hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. Why are they fleeing? They're fleeing because they didn't hearken unto God's voice. They're fleeing because they disobeyed God. And if they disobeyed God, all of, you know, the, the feeling is, is that they're gonna, they're just gonna, Get away. They're just going to run. And many times that's just guilt because they have not followed or obeyed the voice of God. You understand? And Solomon picks that up and he says, uh, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Righteous are not running anywhere. The righteous are standing still. You know why? Because they've done everything at God's command. They've done everything at God's word. God said I needed to do this. God instructed me to do that. God commanded me to do a certain thing. Hey, I'm right there. I have certainly done that. And so they're, they're standing here. You know what they are then? They are confident in death. And when it comes down to the end of the road, they can stand there and be ready to be received on the other side because they have done everything they knew to do. They've done everything they knew to do. 
when D.L. Moody was dying on his death, he was uh, leaving this world on his deathbed in Chicago, and uh, he was uh, laying there, and it looked like he was gone, and then all of a sudden he, he roused, and he said, he talked about his coronation day, and he said, this is, this is glorious for me, and, and he w- made a few other statements, and he said, I'm now crossing into that land. He said, this is not a sad day, this is my coronation day, I'm about to be crowned. And he, with, with saying those few words, he just slipped away and he was gone. It was not a fearful thing for him. He was bold in death in the same way that he was bold in life. Where does that come from? That comes from obedience. That comes from, uh, you know, following God's word and hearkening unto his voice. God doesn't want you to run away because of guilt. If you got something in your life and the Holy Spirit identifies that and brings that out, hey, listen, come to the altar, come to a place of repentance, go to that person and make it right. Do it quickly and get it out of the way so that nothing hinders you. Because if it carries on, it'll cause you to run and nobody's following, nobody's chasing you. Run all over the place. Now saying that, there, here's an example in Genesis chapter 20 of Abimelech. Remember, Abimelech was going to take Sarah to be a wife because she was now a young woman. You remember that story? And God said unto Abimelech in a dream. This is where it comes to a grinding halt. The wedding plans are off. The flowers go back to the florist. Everything is stopped now in a real hurry. And God appears to Abimelech and says, Yeah, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thine heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. I prevented you from coming into a place of guilt where you'd be guilty. Okay? That's what that word means, sinning there. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he's a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live and restore her not. Uh, and know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. If you proceed with this, you're in trouble. You're going to be guilty. But he says, if you stop right now and restore that woman, he says, things will be okay. Therefore Abimelech, he woke up, got a hold of his secretary, and he said, hey, sister, clear my schedule. Everything's changed. Clear my schedule today. Call the staff in. Calls all of his servants in and told them the things that were happening. And he says, there's no wedding today. He says, that woman is not eligible to be married. We're going to change the plans. Everything is now on, on hold. And then Abimelech called Abraham. In other words, he's not waiting around for a couple of weeks here. He's not delaying this. But he says the first thing he does, when he, 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 God spoke to him in a dream. So the first thing he does when he gets up in the morning, brushes his teeth, call a staff meeting. And then he goes right to Abraham. And he called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done to us? And what have I offended thee that thou hast brought this on me and on my kingdom? A great guilt. And this is what this word is again. It, it's, you, you're putting my country, my nation, into a position of guilt. And so Abimelech acts fast. He does this without delay. He acts quickly in order to make things right. And I'm suggesting to you that that's the right process. If somebody offends you, or there's a problem, or if, uh, it, it, let's say, you're in the wrong, and the righteous judgment of God is spoken, and it, uh, you know, it, it uh, smites you right where you are, and you need to make something right, make it right. Brother Branham says, I read that God gives us all things. He gives us pardon to those who want to accept God's word as pardon. God gives us all things. And he gives us pardon to those who want to accept God's word as pardon. Look at this next line. 
A pardon from God is a release from guilt. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. A pardon from God. When he pardoned you on Calvary, he not only forgave you of your sins, but he released you from the guilt of those sins. When you come to God and put something under the blood, you're not only forgiven of that, but you're released from the guilt of that. Now, Satan doesn't believe this quote. Satan would never underline this one. He'd never quote it in church either. But I will tell you something. Satan cannot resurrect that sin and bring it back to you and make it stick because it's already dissolved under the blood of Christ. And even though there might be a memory of that sin, he cannot bring it into court because the evidence has been dissolved and done away with. So what he does is he takes the guilt that you feel from having committed that sin and keeps bringing it up to you and saying, how could a person who's a Christian do that? Right? But when a person is pardoned by God, it is not only freedom from sin, it is not only justification as though they never sinned in the first place, but it is also a freedom from guilt. I'm thankful for that. If I had to carry, if I had to make right the things that I have done wrong in my life and carry, shoulder the guilt of the things that I have done wrong, I wouldn't be here this evening talking to you with much confidence. I wouldn't be here uh, talking to you with much, uh, you know, assurance that uh, he takes care of our guilt and he takes care of our, uh, you know, of our our sins and so forth. I I wouldn't have much confidence in that if I had to carry uh, all of that guilt and the weight of my sin on my shoulders here. But when you're pardoned by God, you are freed from guilt. Glory to God. Not that, not, now watch what he says, not the turning away by a psychological uh, doctrine of some sort that might in some way give you a little feeling that maybe you've done right in joining church and taken up a creed. So it's not a Norman Vincent Peale situation, who was very popular back in Brother Bram's day. Norman Vincent Peale uh, was a minister back in that day, and uh, very popular, wrote uh, several books that became uh, great bestsellers here. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, an idea that, uh, you know, when you start to do things right, you know, God will honor that and all the rest of it. And here, Brother Bram's referring to that. This is not just a psychological way of changing our thinking or someone's convincing you of a different way of thinking or looking at it, uh, but you know you're still a sinner. Or you're listening to a lecture that tells you how to have a different outlook. You can, listen, you can go to Barnes and Noble and you can get all kinds of books there that tell you how to think differently and tell you how to feel differently and tell you how to act differently. I don't know if you've ever been in the self-help section. It's full of books that have all kinds of methodology there about how to change your behavior and how to change your thinking, how to change your spouse, how to change everything around you there. But all of it is on a surface level. None of it deals with the soul. You know what the book is that you need to pick up in order to have your soul changed? It's this one right here. Because if it's not changed there, it's not going to change permanently on the outside. It's only going to be reformed. And if you go to a different church and hear a different lecture, you're going to have a different kind of behavior. That's not what God wants. All you're doing is being conformed. But he wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. That's what he wants us to do. So Brother Bram said this is not a psychological process and in a lot of psychological doctrine. We don't preach psychological doctrine. Somebody say amen. Help me out here. Because... It is only a reformation. It is not a part of a transformation. It is only a reformation. Feeling that you've done right. In other words, if I live 
outside the boundary of God's word. But I join the church. And I pay my tithes. And I take communion. And I live by the rules of that church and the dress code of that church and the conduct of that church. And you know what? Uh, you know, there's, there's some credibility for that and God's going to honor me because I did that uh, correctly. When Jesus hung on the cross and bled and died, and now God's going to consider the kind of shirt and tie you have on? Really? But he, Brother Bam said, but it's a release from guilt by the power of Calvary. And something has released you. There's no more guilt. And the Bible says in Romans 5, there's now therefore no condemnation. Romans 8 and 1. There are no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus that walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So it is right for a person over on the right-hand side, it's right for a person to have a broken spirit if it leads them to repentance and to have a contrite heart so that their heart is softened to make things right with God. That is what's right. Brother Branham says, repent quickly, don't hesitate. And he talks about Ephesus here and how they left their first love. And how they left their first love. And how they came to the place where there was nothing left for God to do in Ephesus. The church folded up. He says in the church age book there wasn't one Christian left. Now, he says, that doesn't mean that they couldn't have repented. It doesn't mean that we can't repent. We can't. But he says, we must do it quickly. It must be a true heart's cry to God in sorrow, and then God will restore. The glory shall come again. So if there's something there that we need to make right, we should make it right. So David says in Psalm 119, he says, teach me the good Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I've kept thy word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I've kept thy word. Thou art good, and doest good, and teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. How does David begin to keep the precepts of God? He keeps them because he's gone through some things that have taught him stuff that ordinary church services might not teach him. He says, I've been afflicted. And when I was afflicted, I had to turn to God. I had to get serious with God because now I realized I'd done some things wrong. And in my affliction, I realized, you know what, it doesn't really matter how many Sunday school classes I've been to. It doesn't really matter how many badges I've got on my uniform. It doesn't really matter, uh, you know, how many sermons I've listened to or how many camps I've attended. It really doesn't matter. God looks at the heart. God looks at your heart. And when David realized that he didn't have what he thought he might have had, he said, thy word have I hid in my heart. But remember, he didn't have the Holy Spirit to quicken that word and make it live and hold him when he couldn't hold himself. And it was in his affliction that he called out to God. And he said, after it's all over and after it's all done, he said, it's a good thing that I was afflicted. He said, because now I keep thy word. I, listen, I pray this for every one of you. That God would not have to afflict you in order to have you wake up to the fact that God's word is true and God says what he means. I pray that that happens. I, I, I don't want to have to go through that myself. I don't want to have to go through an affliction. I don't want to have to go through a loss. I don't want to have to go through an upset and turmoil in my life 
in order to figure out that God's word is true. I'd rather know that by revelation. I'd rather know that by the grace of God. I'd rather know that by the experience of living for God and walking for God and being in pursuit of God and following hard after God. I'd rather, I'd rather believe that his word is true. I'd rather see him victorious in victory than rather look out to try to find him through prison, bar, excuse me, through prison bars and, and try to wonder where he is. Lord, where did I go wrong and where did you leave me? I don't know about you, but I'd rather have that. And even though we're a little astray from the, the wounded spirit part, sometimes there are people who can get upset about things. And you know what? They need to be. And they can confuse that with saying, well, someone's picking on me or someone's, you know, attacking me or somebody's being critical of me. And, and you know what? It may not be that at all. It might be the goodness of God that's trying to lead you to repentance and trying to get you to smarten up trying to get you to act the way you should as a Christian. Trying to get you to become aware that God's standards are not just the ten suggestions. They were the ten commandments. And they matter. And they summarized the heart of God when it comes to the law for his people. And God gave it knowing that they couldn't really keep it. He knew that it was not in them without the Holy Spirit to be able to keep that law and walk in, walk in the perfect way all their lives. He, he knew they couldn't do that. They needed to have the Holy Spirit to quicken that word and make it live so that it was not them walking and following the law. It was Christ in them keeping the law. God wanted his people to know that. And here's David. He's saying, Lord, I, I, I was a, I was a, when I was afflicted, he said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. I thought I could control this. I thought I, I had a handle on this. I thought I knew it all. I thought I had, was aware of all of this stuff. And he says, then all of a sudden, he says, affliction came. And I realized, wow, God does more for me than what I knew. God does more for me than what I understood. He loves me more. He's protected me more than what I ever understood. Hmm. And now, Lord, David says, now, Lord, I, my desire is to keep thy word. May we have that attitude without the affliction. May we have that experience of, of believing God's word is true. And sometimes, you know, when something is said, and you, and you know it's sovereignly said by God, when something is said, you know what? We would react to that, not in a wrong way, and carry a chip on our shoulder and be bitter about that or be hurt about that. But rather say, Lord, if that's your word, that's the last say. If that's your word, Lord, give me a heart to follow that and obey that. Let's have the musicians just slip up to the instruments here this evening. And I think that that would be a good place for us to stop and just make this our prayer that, that Lord, especially in the unusual season that we live in, especially in the unusual time that we find ourselves the thing for us to do is to cast down imaginations and cast down anything that exalts itself against the, 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 the Word of God. Anything that is contrary to the Word of God that we have heard. And Lord, if, that's, if something else that's contrary has taken root in my life, Lord, let me cast it down and let me lead that captive about rather than that captive attacking me. Let me turn that thing around. Let me, uh, let me correct that and go to the extreme to do the, uh, to do the uh, you know, the excellent thing that would be pleasing to God and a defeat for Satan. Let me do that, Lord. 
Let that be my prayer. I want to cast down anything that, that hinders my walk with God. I love this little statement. I'll leave this with you. Brother Branham, we have two children that go to church. It's controlled by a woman preacher. We know she's off the word. And our children are under this strong influence. How should we go about telling them that this is error? So here's parents looking at their kids and they realize, wow, this is going nowhere good. Now, Brother Branham, tell us how to react to this. What should we do? How should we tell our children? Now, they're adult children, obviously. But they're under this strong influence because they're old enough to go to this church by themselves, at least here. And so he's wondering, what do, what do we do to correct this error? How do we do this? How do we, how do we go in and, and talk to them about this? I thought it was really interesting, his answer. And his answer is summarized in three words. His answer is just a, a sentence with three words in it. And here it is. Handle it gently. Handle it gently. Because you can drive somebody away by telling them the truth. Right? You might be very right in what you're saying, but you can say it in such a way that you can drive them closer to that false thing. If they're elected, they'll come. We know they'll come. But you know this, that with your, especially with your older kids, not, not so much your little ones, but with your older kids, you can say things in a way that drives them further away instead of reconciling. You might be right. So when it comes to, you know, a situation where, you know, you're correcting a situation or, or the Holy Spirit comes to you to try to correct it, I believe it's important for it to be said right to somebody, but I believe it's also correct for a person to receive it in the right way so that we'd know what's pleasing to God. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, that's who we're living for, right? At the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Let's stand to our feet this evening. His promises, I can stand secure. Carve upon my heart truth that sets me free. sets me free according
I can face tomorrow because he lives all my fear is gone and because I know yes I know Because he lives once again, because he lives tomorrow, because he lives. Fear is gone. Sing it now one time. Change my heart, oh. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh, God. May I be the potter, I am the clay, so mold me and make this is what I pray, change my heart, oh Apostle Paul wrote, we are a people, Lord, who recognize that your word is true, and you judge according to truth. Lord, the very worst thing, the very worst thing we can have is a hard and an unmovable heart, a heart that doesn't respond to the presence of the Holy Spirit. May, Lord, we never let the Holy Spirit become common to us. May we never let the word of truth become common to us. That somehow or another we would feel it would be optional. But Lord, we believe your word is truth. When David went through his experiences, he came through and understand that it is a good thing that I've been afflicted. Because now, now I look at your word differently. Now I know, now I understand. And Lord, I pray you'd help us, Lord, in this waning hour of our time on this earth. Lord, we see things happening between the nations and 
It's one of many as we highlighted tonight. Lord, we believe that these are times that sober us and they should be conditioning us, Lord, for the last part of this journey. Father, we commit people into your hands, Lord. May there be shalom in every home. May there be shalom in every heart. Lord, may there be peace between us and you. And may, Lord, you give us wisdom and discernment to know when you're speaking directly to us to bring us to a place of repentance, bring us to a place of change. Grant it, Lord, we pray. I commit the people, the many folks who are away tonight, I commit them into your hands, Lord, and I ask that you would bring healing to those who need it. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Sing it as you go tonight. God bless you. Change my heart, oh God.
Anytime. 